broadcasting live from the Santa Lucia Highlands through the heart of the Casterville Artichoke Fields, westward to the Elkhorn Slough, and south to the rugged Big Sur coastline. You're listening to What's the Plan? A weekly discussion with local thought leaders about the future of Monterey County. And now, here's your host, Mr. Paul Wyant. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Today we have a phenomenal show for you featuring Mr. Ken Peterson. He's the Senior Communications Strategist at Monterey Bay Aquarium. But before we get to today's program, let me remind you that you can listen to us anytime on podcast platforms like iTunes and Spotify, or you can go to our website, whatstheplanmonterey.com and listen. And while you're at our website, you can sign up for our weekly emails and information about upcoming programs and guests. We have a lot of exciting guests coming up in the coming weeks. So, Mr. Ken Peterson, uh, welcome to the show, sir. Paul, well, it's nice to be with you today. Yeah. Let me, uh, I've read this off the internet. So, uh, you know, and the, the internet is, uh, cannot, you know, it's, it's, it's truthfulness cannot be uh, impugned. So let me, if anything's wrong, please correct it. Uh, prior to joining the aquarium in 1989, Ken was a writer and editor for 15 years with uh, California newspapers, including the San Jose Mercury News and the Monterey County Herald. And he focused on coastal land use and environmental issues, which is phenomenal because I'd like to talk to you about some of those things. Uh, tell us how that experience, if it's true, and I think it is, uh, exper- uh, you know, shaped your thinking today and your work at the aquarium. Well, I, I think I have the innate curiosity. I don't think you're drawn into journalism unless you want to understand the world. And then part of it, uh, is also you want to be a good storyteller. You want to communicate accurately what's going on out there and help people sort through complexities in, in public decision-making. Most people don't have the time to go out and attend planning commission meetings or coastal commission meetings, city councils, boards of supervisors. So a good journalist can be their proxy in those. And, and that's what it really brought me um, or what it gave me before coming to the aquarium, that that curiosity to understand the world, share complex topics in a way that people can digest and help them use that information to, to make good decisions in their daily lives. That's wow. Yeah, that's phenomenal. I worked uh, shortly as a journalist back in the uh, nineties, but uh, it's a very, not a very storied career. Um, You were, uh, you were on jeopardy. Um, Do you, do you happen to remember the final Jeopardy question? And if you do, could you share it with the audience and give us a couple of seconds to get it wrong? (laughs) Yeah. Well, what's so funny, and I have to say that, I mean, that experience is going back to uh, like 1990, 91. So I'm still getting dividends for it. You're still asking me now and I still have people who bring it up. So it's uh, it was pretty good that the 15 minutes of fame has lasted. Final Jeopardy question uh, answer on the show where I won the championship was uh, Holidays and Observances was the category. Paz Feast is the Dutch name for this holiday. Ah, I think I know it. But Mark, uh, let's see if Mark, because uh, Paz, isn't there a, there's a company that colors certain uh, product, chicken products that's named Paz, right? Is that correct? Is that, anyway, Mark, are, can you know, do you know it? He might not be on. I'm, I'm sorry, guessing what was that again, Paul? Uh, don't worry about it, Mark. <laughs> yeah, Easter is my guess. Is that right, Ken? What is Easter is correct. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that was great. Uh, so a nice one-day championship. And the, as often happens with Jeopardy, the next game uh, as a defending champion, uh, somebody else had more money than me in the last round. It was close, but he was ahead of me. We both got the answer correct, but he, uh, he had a few more bucks at that. But it was it was a great experience. 
Well, and then you invested it all in Amazon and you're a, a kajillionaire now. Would <laughs> <laughs> that I were. <laughs> That's great. Um, so what led you to the Monterey uh, Bay Aquarium in 1989 and, and how did that come about? Were you friends with someone who worked down here or did you, was it just from the uh, Monterey Herald or you so i yeah i had covered some stories uh uh in the run up to the aquarium's opening in 1984 for the herald and i'd also because newspaper reporters are generally behind a, a notebook and are transcribing other people's words and telling other people's stories you don't get a lot of chance to talk so uh both to learn more marine science and also to get a chance to be more expressive uh, i signed up and was part of the the charter guide class for the aquarium so we were learning marine science and all about sea creatures uh, in the winter and spring of 1984. And I was there after covering the grand opening uh, on a, whatever day of the week it was. I was there probably the following weekend as a volunteer guide. And subsequently, um, I got married. My wife uh, had a Fulbright Fellowship. Uh, and we spent the first year and a half, we were married in Turkey and in, uh, in Istanbul, Turkey. And we didn't, uh, they didn't hold my job for me while I was away, but I didn't want to leave the Monterey area. So when I came back uh, from that year and a half, one thing led to another. The aquarium people knew me and eventually I, I took the position there. That, that, yeah, that's fantastic. Uh you, obviously, you impressed some people when you were working as a journalist. So they, you probably had a good name. Can I ask what your uh, your wife does now? That sounds like an exciting career if you're comfortable. Doing. Yeah, yeah. My wife, Paulette Lynch, had uh, went to Middlebury Institute. Then it was Monterey Institute of International Studies. Uh, she went on to found First Night Monterey. Uh, then she was for a dozen years the executive director for the Arts Council for Monterey County. And she's now uh, a strategic planning and fundraising consultant for nonprofits in Monterey County, mostly arts organizations like uh, Monterey County Pops, which that's just uh, did a streaming remote uh, 4th of July concert um, and working for a few others, including the nonprofit Alliance for Monterey County. That's phenomenal. You both would be great, like state department officers. I think if you ever, if you ever uh, decide to relive your life, it, it would probably make great uh, members of the state department as a foreign service officer or something. Um, but, uh, let's see. Okay. So the, the Monterey Bay aquarium is known uh, for like, especially for its great work with jellyfish. I think they pioneered some uh, like jellyfish husbandry or mating uh, techniques. And then also uh they were the first, I, I think this is true, they were the first to successfully care for a great white shark. I don't think there's one there now. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, last time I went to the aquarium, I don't remember seeing one, but maybe <laughs> I might have missed it. And uh, of course, they've done amazing work with sea otters. Can you tell us a little bit about like the success story of the sea otters or anybody who goes to the Elkhorn Slough will probably, you, you can't help but see about 40 of them out there, but can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. And it, it all connects back to the aquarium's mission, which is to inspire conservation of the ocean and to really radiate out from Monterey Bay to have an impact on the health of the ocean globally. Uh, the, the people who founded the aquarium were all marine biologists, and they weren't 
all excited about the big charismatic animal uh, charismatic animals that you, you see in in some aquariums or, or the stars of some aquariums so it was never about dolphins and orcas and sea lions and and you know what have you is trying to show people as, as our executive director julie packard says some of the small squishy things uh, that you don't think of as being particularly exciting but turn out to be spectacularly beautiful and really interesting in their own right so to, to create an aquarium where the centerpiece is a kelp forest was a pretty novel idea back in 1984. And a lot of people thought it would fall on its face. And, and that's become one of the iconic images uh, of the aquarium. Sea otters were the one marine mammal that uh, they were interested in, in exhibiting. And it was it's smaller, so you can build a space and, and hold them. The animals that we brought to the aquarium were all rescued animals that would have died in the wild if we had not intervened. And out of that program of having rescued otters on exhibit and learning how to care for them from the time they were in their infancy, uh, we eventually evolved that into a program of rescuing and returning to the wild uh, sea otter pups that turned up stranded for which there was no place either at our aquarium or any of more than a dozen around the country that we have supplied with rescued non-releasable sea otters ever since then. Uh, and that whole process of working with sea otters evolved because in the beginning we had no clue what it took to prepare a sea otter for return to life in the wild. We did our best by having humans, people on our staff or volunteers, go out and swim with these otters in Monterey Bay in wetsuits and dive down and pretend to find food and pretend to crack it open on their chests to show the otters what they're supposed to do and help them learn how to groom their fur. And all of these things are necessary because uh, sea otters, unlike a lot of other animals, have a lot of learned behavior that they get from their mother. And eventually... The circumstances aligned. Uh, we had a, a an animal that was retrieved from the wild, could not be released um, because of some illness, who had just had a pup that had died. And we had just gotten in an infant pup. And our staff put that otter, Tula, together with that rescued pup. She adopted it as her own, raised it. And that became uh, the basis of what has been a very successful program of surrogate rearing sea otters, where even if they haven't had a pup of their own, the female non-releasable otters in our exhibit are all working moms. They're behind the scenes caring for pups. And they've gotten dozens of them back to the wild uh, over the years since that started. Uh, you mentioned the otters at Elkhorn Slough. Uh, we've documented through our scientific research that more than half the otters in Elkhorn Slough, and it's in the range of about 200 animals now, more than half are either ones we've released or their offspring. And then we're now into three generations for some of those. Uh, it, wow, that is phenomenal. And I could say if you if anyone gets the chance and you can um, take a sea kayak or even a walk along the Elkhorn Slough, it's just amazing. You'll see uh, a lot of um, seagulls as well with their uh, their babies. And you'll see, uh, of course, uh, a, a bunch of other marine life as well. It's a it's a phenomenal place. Um, I, I want to ask you about one animal and I'm forgetting the name. I wanted to remember the name before. But have you ever seen the movie Dune? There's yes. those creatures that those worms that come out of the ground. Oh, the sandworms. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and uh, 
there is if once the aquarium opens or maybe there's a camera uh, a webcam with this but those I, I think are some of the most fascinating unknown animals at the aquarium is they have those they're about the size of your pinky i think and they come out of the of the sand and then they they go with the tide and they i think they're eating plankton or something in the tide right so that's pro you're probably talking about the garden eels they're uh oh, yeah. one of the animals in our we were also one of the aquariums that started the idea of doing special exhibitions. Mm -hmm. It's really typical in, in art museums or other museums to have a big, you know, blockbuster special exhibition, but aquariums didn't typically do that. And we began that back in the eighties. Uh, so the garden eels are part of one that we have now called Viva Baja, which is the marine life and some of the terrestrial life of, of the Baja Peninsula. And yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll have burrows and they'll pop their heads out and, they know, fight with one another of, too. They, 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 they yeah, fight yeah, they want to keep their space. I mean, there's, there's, it's surprising. I mean, you, that was what I was saying about the, the small and squishier, the the, uh, the the less commonly known animals. Even things like sea anemones that you can see on the you know if you're out near the tide pools in Pacific Grove or other places, even they have territories and they're kind of keeping the others away from them. They want to maintain their space and their variety of animals like that 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 have some well, some funny little thing that you don't know. And I got to say, like, when you go and see an eel, and I know, like, biologists would probably get mad at me for using this word, but I really don't know any other word to, to describe some of these eels are just like some of the ugliest animals you've seen in the world. But they're, it's it's so cool. They're so cool and neat looking with their teeth and the, the, just their face. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, and it really draws kids in. I mean, and that's part of it. Again, you, when you do, if you want to inspire people to care about the ocean, you really want them to fall in love with it and everything that lives there. And I say we're, we're more familiar with some of the things, the ones we can see, because they're up breathing air, too. So you'll see a harbor seal on the rocks or the sea lions on the breakwater or the otters swimming by. But people don't get to see a wolf eel or uh, a garden eel or, you know, a, a spotted prawn or something like that. And, and when you do, they're just amazing and fascinating, beautiful creatures. Absolutely. So speaking of kids, can you describe the, the new building on Cannery Row and what, how that fits in with the mission? Uh, of the aquarium. Yeah. Uh, in addition to being marine biologists, all the aquarium's founders were, were educators, uh, and they really wanted to inspire and help get that next generation fired up about being advocates for the ocean and protection of the natural world. And it's become more evident with each passing year and decade how dependent we are on the health of the natural world for our own survival and so having young people who are willing to step up and and share that story and make changes was critically important for us so we've been since we opened welcoming school groups free of charge to the aquarium for visits and for classes led by our educators and it's more than two and a half million kids dating back to 1985 now um, thanks to the generosity of our, our donors and members to, to make that possible. Uh, and we wanted to take that to another level. So the building you're talking about, our Bechtel Family Center for Ocean Education and Leadership, just opened last year, $42 million facility there on Cannery Row. And we are have new learning labs there. We only had two of them at the aquarium before. We've added four more. So, you know, tripling the number of places we can bring kids uh, our, our hope and vision now, or at least was before the pandemic, that would be that every one of the roughly 100,000 school kids who come to the aquarium for a visit will not just go on a self-guided trip, but every single one of them will be able to have a 
facilitated class led by one of our educators. And because we know um, that we can't reach every school and every kid, we've also for many years been doing uh, professional development workshops for teachers so they can teach ecosystem-based science in their classrooms no matter where their district is, whether they're in the Central Valley, in the Sierra, or north or south in the coast. Um, and we wanted to, to uh, double the number of teachers we could serve that way because they're going to have a huge impact with their students for the length of their careers. And then the third part of the, of the new center was helping teens find their voice, find um, their sense of agency, their ability to make a difference in the world. And we've been doing a variety of teen leadership programs, again, for a number of years, one called Young Women in Science. We'll, we'll take particularly... Uh, uh, middle school girls get them out meeting women scientists having experiences on the ocean whether it's boogie boarding or kayaking or you know out there in the dunes doing scientific measurements um and uh, teen conservation leaders will have a longer relationship with um big partnership we have with the Pajaro valley schools um with uh putting kids through a year-long program where they're learning how to do field science. And so the goal was to double the, double the number of teens we served there. Uh, interestingly, what we've found uh, since the, the schools shut down and everybody's been sheltering at home, there was this huge hunger for how do we continue our kids' education? And I know that discussion is heating up right now as we're talking about how do you get kids back to school safely in the fall. But meanwhile, our team pivoted from welcoming students which is not going to happen anytime soon, even after we reopen. Uh, but they are now delivering distance learning programs that have all the elements that made our in-person classes so successful. And just since March, when we closed our doors, we've had more than 25,000 kids in all 50 states sign up and enroll. And those classes are also free. And they're, they're multi-day. It's not just kids sitting in front of a screen. It's getting out in nature. It's building things and, you know, crafts and things at home. And all of those classes are available for free and on our, the aquarium website, montereybayaquarium.org. Mm. Yeah. We, okay. Well, that's uh, music for the uh, break. I was going to ask you about those, Ken. So when we come back, we'll be uh, talking a little bit about the uh, online programs and what's coming in the future for the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Uh, I'm Paul White, and you've been listening to What's the Plan on Central Coast 1460 AM Power Talk and 101.1 FM. We'll be right back with Ken Peterson. One company is on a mission to put a million people to work each year. Sounds like a big number, doesn't it? Not to express employment professionals. We take pride in connecting the right people with the right company. Express Employment Professionals is on a mission to put a million people to work each year. Let us help. We'll open doors for you. For great employees, call Monterey County Express Employment Professionals. 831-920-1230. That's 831-920-1230. Advertising. Love it or hate it, it's a vital tool for business owners to attract customers and earn a living. But some city governments have arbitrary laws about what advertising signs can and cannot say. The First Amendment protects freedom of speech. IJ is committed to defending free speech against excessive and unfair government regulations. Please visit our website today at ij.org to find out how you can help the Institute for Justice. 
If you're planning an event and searching for the perfect venue, consider the Monterey County Sheriff's Posse Grounds on Old Natividad Road in Salinas. The Posse Grounds has it all. A complete kitchen, barbecue pits. We also have an outdoor stage featuring a large dance area, all in a private setting and wide open spaces. So book your event now. Call 831-444-6267 or visit our website at mcsposse.com. The Monterey County Sheriff's Posse is a not-for-profit organization. Ten minutes before two o'clock. Let's go ahead and get back to more of What's the Plan with your hosts, Paul Wyant on Power Talk 1460 and 101 FM. Paul? Hey, thank you so much, Mark. We're talking to Ken Peterson, Senior Communication Strategist at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. You can, of course, find more about the Monterey Bay Aquarium at MontereyBayAquarium.org. Um, I have to say, Ken, there was an interesting video as part we were talking about the online programs. And I would like to, yeah, actually, if we could tie that in is how do students enroll in those programs or as parents and students for the younger kids. But uh, I was watching some of your Stitch videos and you're doing partnerships with other aquariums. And the guy from Tennessee was talking about like 150 pound catfishes. So uh, I, I don't know. Could you tell us more about the online programs and kind of some of the exciting stuff and how do students enroll? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll, let me get the enrollment question out of the way first, because people may be wondering about that. You just go to MontereyBayAquarium.org. There's a tab on the website called Learning at Home. Link in there. Look at the courses. And there's everyone from kids from pre-kindergarten up through high school. Uh, classes tailored for the different age groups. Uh, you sign in, log in, you create an account, and boom, off you go. And it, It'll be videos by our educators kind of taking you step-by-step through each of the classes. If you're, there's a craft uh, project involved with part of it, like making a, a hermit crab that might put you might put in a tide pool you build at home. There'll be all the materials, lists, and instructions, and a little how-to. It's kind of like a you know a YouTube video um, for all those elements. Um, in terms of the social media, it's like, how do you, how do you keep your mission alive when, when you aren't welcoming people in the doors. And in a normal year that we'd have 2 million people come to the aquarium, uh, both members from locally in the, the Bay area, but also people coming from all over the country and all over the world. And what we found is people were extraordinarily hungry to stay connected with the natural world while we've all been sheltering at home. Uh, we have for many years had uh, streaming live webcams from a lot of our exhibits and one that points out and so that webcam traffic has been enormously popular. Uh, we've actually, you know, added like you know, seven or eight million people viewing it beyond what we would have expected during this period. Um, we've had a very, very big social media presence for a long time on, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of those. And and that audience has grown enormously, not just in numbers but also geographically. Yeah, you know, it used to be that. You know, maybe 10% of all the people coming to our website or our social media were from outside the United States. Well, now it's 25% from around the world. It used to be that, you know, maybe 40 or 45% of all the people who, who visited us that way were from outside California. Now it's around 70%. And we've added, you know, new programs. We're doing a lot of things. We've created some meditation videos with our jellies and our kelp forest in the Bay that people find incredibly helpful as they're trying to deal with the stresses of everyday life. Um, we've even got some testimonials from people in command centers at hospitals and other places or people who are using it to refer to their, their clients for ways to de-stress. 
uh, and then we we went on this um, platform that's fairly new to us called Twitch, uh, where a whole batch of people have been playing this video game called Animal Crossing. And that's the one where that Tennessee aquarium expert popped up. It's this virtual world where you can catch fish or collect fossils and then put them in a museum or put them in an aquarium and, and talk about them. So we brought scientific experts there. Uh, a lot of people on the Twitch platform are just there to play video games and other people watch them the way you or I might watch a tennis tournament or a golf tournament. And uh, we're finding that people are really engaged with the scientific experts and they're keen to learn about these creatures and they just got a very fun way about it so you can find that on twitch or you can go to our youtube channel and we we put it all up there as well and that's maybe a little more accessible for a lot of people yeah if i'm looking at the uh, site now and there's just amazing the wet the, the multiple webcams and everything i would highly recommend uh people go there that's that is really uh cool are there is there anything else about your online programs you you can describe or or maybe what is it, or you're physically doing in the aquarium right now during the down, you know, during the right. downtime to improve some of the exhibits or anything. Like that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, our, our ultimate goal, of course, and as soon as uh, public health authorities give us the green light, uh, is to open the doors again and start welcoming people to come into the aquarium. We're going to do it in a, a different and safer way, and until there is a vaccine and until the the pandemic has has kind of cooled down, and it seems to be bubbling along at a pretty accelerating rate right now but um our staff uh, essential staff who are caring for the animals are doing that uh, full time they have been you know we can never turn the turn the lights off and just walk away um the the, the water quality folks and the people running the systems that are pumping seawater through the aquarium have been working we have a custodial crew who's working around all of these people and making sure that they're um keeping the work environment sterile and safe um and uh, you know just uh, the core number of people a lot of us like myself are able to work from home and keep getting the word out and sharing the stories um and, and building all those social media pieces but uh we're we're waiting to to reopen and we've put some guidelines up about what we're going to do in terms of you know everyone has a mask on a face covering of some sort whether it's our staff and volunteers or the visitors coming through you know health checks um physical distancing but still want people to enjoy the the exhibits and have an awesome time i that brings up a question i i don't imagine this is the case but is have you has uh the aquarium experienced any financial stress due to the loss of revenue from all the events and the, and just the the ticket <laughs> sales and everything? It, it's been really a huge blow you know we were we were looking at upwards of 40 million dollars in losses because we're not welcoming any paying customers you know fortunately our our donors and community are stepping forward we created a special fund for the aquarium uh that's raised around 10 million dollars so far how do but people how would people give to that fund get straight to monteraybayaquarium.org and there's a donate button <laughs> and we've had some wonderful things there's a girl up in scotts valley a kindergartner who's been using her drawings and making stickers for mm. us and I think she's raised, by selling these stickers at $3 a piece, um, she's raised more than $3,000 already. And they're just beautiful little pieces of artwork. There's another girl up in the Bay Area who's making pillows. There's an artist uh, elsewhere in, the, in the, the Monterey Bay Area who's making art projects to benefit us. So a lot of different ways people are helping. And we've got a story on our website 
under if you look for fan art you can you can see that girl rosella up up in scotts valley and her stickers and find a link to her etsy store but it's it just really heartwarming how much people have stepped up and everybody here you know staff volunteers are fired up ready to go taking care of everything want to get back to doing the thing that we do best and uh it, it takes a village and a community to make it happen wow that that is yeah it is a really good story i like that so uh Find that at the uh, at the website and go to uh, Etsy and buy some of the stickers. Um, so, looking ten to fifteen years down the road, uh, this will be the last question. I think we're running out of time. What is the so fifteen to twenty years from now? What does the aquarium have planned? And and again, what can people do to support those plans? Yeah, well, on the exhibit side, we've got a deep sea exhibition planned to open that was scheduled for 2021. We pushed that to 2022, which is going to be breaking new ground, just the way we did with jellies back in the day, and uh, innovating and changing and opening people up to things in the ocean world. We've become much more active in in, in using our voice and authority to help. Uh, advocate for policies to protect the ocean, whether it's reducing uh, the impacts of, of climate change on ocean health, uh, plastic pollution. Our seafood program, which started out as consumer awareness, the Seafood Watch, is now global with impact. We are changing the way fish are caught and farmed around the world. And uh, we'll be doing more of that. That is fantastic. I wish we had more time, Ken. I'm Paul Wyan, owner of Express Employment Professionals of Monterey County. At Express, we're dedicated to providing great candidates to great businesses in Monterey County. For additional information, give me a call at 831-920-1230. Thanks again to Mr. Ken Peterson. Great guest. MontereyBayAquarium.org is the website. I hope you can make it back to the show sometime soon. Uh, I'd also like to thank Mr. Mark Carbonero. He's the greatest producer in the business. And of course, Mr. Dave Marzetti, host of the Saturday morning Shagbag radio show for helping make me for helping me make this program possible. You've been listening to What's the Plan on Central Coast Power Talk, 1460 AM and 101.1 FM. Please stay tuned next for Business Sense with Mr. Edward King. Don't let it, let it get me.